0: Welcome to Life on the Hill. If this is your first time joining us, this podcast is intended for Hamilton College students in the Hamilton College community to stay up to date on things that are going on around campus and to hear the voices of people committed to the success of Hamilton College students. My name is Travis Hill and I'm the host of this program. In this episode, we hear from Eric Stenzel, member of the class of 2023 from Sayville, New York, who is one of the hub coordinators of Sunrise Hamilton. Thanks for joining me, Eric. Thank you for
1: having me. I've been trying to get on for a while. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's true. It's um, good to be here. Yeah, that's,
0: that's very true. All right, so I've been holding you off until now, <laughs> but I'm excited to have the chance for us to actually sit down and chat, because I do think that you'll have a lot of interesting things to share. Let's start off with what brought you to Hamilton.
1: So in my junior year of high school, I basically had no idea what Hamilton College was. Sure. And then I had an English teacher. Uh, Doug Shaw, class of 89, and he recommended I look at it. He like spoke highly of it. Mm -hmm. I looked it up and I'm like, wow, this is kind of fitting into everything that I think I would want because I think throughout high school as I've done here, which is why I picked here, uh, shaping the own path that I want to take. So like I started my high school's debate team. I was running my high school's Model UN, stuff like that, making them the things that I wanted to be because I found that the kind of rigid structured curriculum that existed in my high school was not at all conducive to me learning what I I wanted and what I found was I guess the vibe of Hamilton was that was encouraged that Uh you would go out and find the things that you wanted to explore and then you could make that even a part of your curriculum, and I think I've already you know started to do that. I'm taking two environmental studies uh, classes this semester that are directly tied to like what I'm doing uh, otherwise. So I came to Hamilton, I visited, and I think I immediately fell in love with it. I won't name the school that preceded it, but okay. I'll just say that it was a school that there was a very deep contrast between the two. Okay. It was a large state school, uh-huh. um, and I th- saw that Hamilton's community and small size and very intimate culture on campus was very attractive to me. So I decided, yeah, I'm definitely going to be applying here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I did an interview. Not that day. Another day I did an interview. And I think that got me even more into it. And I applied early decision.
0: That's great. And so has it lived up so far to what you thought it would be? What is it? In what ways has it or has it not?
1: I think that it has would say 90% lived up to mm-hmm. what I expect. Of course like you can't like understand everything that there is on campus. But yeah, like I mentioned like I'm taking two environmental studies classes right now and like the way they're taught, it's very much like, all right, so what are you going to do about climate change sure. as a part of this class. Yeah. So like I'm able to incorporate the things that I care about mm-hmm. into the curriculum. A lot of professors are very happy to do similar things. They give you a lot of choices in the ways that you might want to approach an
0: assignment. So one of the things that you've said and that is not surprising about the topics that we'll talk about mm-hmm. here is that I'm, I'm really fascinated about how you got here. And it seems to me that you knew before you came that this was an organization that you wanted to start. This was a mm-hmm. club that you wanted to start. And you already said that you created your debate team in high school, mm-hmm. so this Initiating of, of initiatives is a theme for you, it seems. And so I'd love to understand that aspect of this, of like what it's been like to come here and from minute one have a goal that you're mm-hmm. trying to meet and how you've tackled that.
1: Yeah. For some context, I was also uh, one of the founders of Sunrise Movement Long Island last November. So I already sort of knew what Sun, well, I mean, I've been doing it for almost a year. Sure. So I, I kind of, uh, had that in mind. When I was coming to campus, I was looking at the organizations that were on campus, and I didn't see anything on campus that was political in the way that I really was interested in being political. Mm-hmm. And I thought, all right, what can I do to fill this niche on campus? And I you know, had a couple options. I was considering Sunrise. I was considering Democratic Socialists of America, maybe some broadly just progressive umbrella group. But I ended up you know, talking with some other people uh, who I found on Instagram mm-hmm. who found similar interests and I ended up coming down to you know, what the climate crisis is the single most important issue because it encompasses all issues. So that's what I'm gonna do. So the process of doing that and getting started right at the beginning meant that I needed to start making contacts long before I actually got to campus. Right. Uh, being from New York, which is an advantage, I attended this conference in Albany uh, called Justice Works uh, that is put on by Citizen Action New York, which is a statewide uh, progressive organization. We have a chapter right here in Utica and on Long Island. Uh, and I came and I met some people from the Utica area. Uh, I set up some phone calls with, with them. I learned about what you know the politics are up here, mm-hmm. what the major issues are, whether it be for the city of Utica, for Oneida County, who the major players are. So I kind of had that political background to what was going to happen once I got here. Yep. Um, and I wasn't just diving into something that I had no experience with. Mm-hmm. I also uh, contacted someone from College Democrats. Yeah, so it was a lot of that. I talked to a lot of people that I um, thought would give me insight insight onto what the nature of uh, the political climate is, both here at Hamilton mm-hmm. and also off campus in Clinton or broader uh, Oneida County. Yep. So once I got to campus, I already had a sort of list of people who I would sure. be able to, to contact and uh, I contact those people. Of course, it's very hit and miss and a lot of that is the case with organizing. You need to sure. get some people who are going to be committed and other people are just going to be like no thanks. And uh, started right out with trying to organize the climate strike Mm -hmm. on september 20th and that wasn't necessarily a sunrise specific thing uh there were a lot of other groups helping us like dems and vegan club and qsu and hamilton environmental action group i'm forgetting some off the top of my head but (laughs) um it was a very much group effort and i kind of used that to grab people who i had found interest in Sunrise, and weren't a part of these other organizations, Uh and brought them into the organizing fold Uh for the strike. And that sort of set up the basis for getting other people who were going to commit significant organizing time, Uh Uh, so then after the strike, we set into doing everything else we needed to do. Uh, Do a lot of good organizing, um, and pick up a lot of new people, um, enough to actually have a very significant effort for December 6th where we both organized the strike on campus and also one in Utica with a coalition of some of those other organizations that I had met in the summer. I think the first, the way I would summarize the first semester is kind of like a trial by fire Mm -hmm. because for me, I've come into this with a couple years, uh, actually starting in eighth grade, so like all of high school um, organizing experience and then there are a lot of other people who this might be their first time uh, getting into it. So. What I saw my role as, and I still do see my role as, is making sure that this is as inclusive and welcoming as possible and that people get the chance to cultivate their own leadership skills and organizing skills. There are people who, you know, five months ago had never even heard of Sunrise Movement, never done political activism. Before. Sure. Now, now they're on our eboard, board yeah. um, And they're picking up these fantastic responsibilities uh, that allow us to do more and more and more and we're only continuing on planning on growing and mm-hmm. and all of that. So it was a good first semester. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and uh, I think we really set ourselves up for success uh, in future semesters.
0: Good. And I would do I will ask you about that and what you're, yeah. what's on the horizon of Sunrise. Um but one of the things you said that I intended to ask you about is I was impressed from the very start about how intentional you and the others working on this have been about being inclusive. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that?
1: Yeah. Um, so it comes from, I mean, of course, yes, we want to be that's just as a principle, but also the fact that the climate crisis is not an individual specific issue that's going to impact everybody equally. Mm. It is an issue that affects frontline communities first and worst Mm -hmm. um and what i mean by frontline communities i mean of course people who are living on coasts or in areas that are uh most likely to be hit by disasters of different kinds but also i mean uh black indigenous people of color women lgbtq plus the whole list of you know marginalized communities because the what worries me most about the climate crisis isn't necessarily the direct impacts of like, we're going to have flooding or we might have crop shortages, but the societal consequences that come from that. Mm. And when that happens, as has been the case throughout the entire existence of our society, there are some people who are pushed to the edge Mm -hmm. and will not be taken care of, and in fact will be persecuted for who and what they are. And that is exacerbated within the climate crisis. Um, And we see that already on a global scale look who's being hit right now, right? And who's also being talked about. You're very happy to talk about the wildfires in California or Australia, but if we're talking about the massive flooding that might be happening in Indonesia or uh, in Vietnam or India or wherever else, that's kind of a back burner discussion. Mm-hmm. And a large part of that has to do with being in the global south and not being you know, these white, uh, powerful countries as we have in the west. So, any climate activism that exists has to prioritize those who are directly impacted. And more importantly, the way for doing that needs to be paved by people who are actually impacted. So, we have also been making a very intentional effort of uh, making sure that people who are members of frontline communities have a direct say in the decisions we're making. It's very, I think, what undergirds all of it is the understanding that these issues are not separate. They're combined. And it is crucially important that they be addressed with justice and equity. And that means that in our demands uh, for things we want, whether it be of, you know, Anthony Prentissi or Congressman or the county, the Oneida County, they need to not only say we're going to reduce emissions, but also that we're going to make sure that the infrastructure we build to do that isn't going to be entirely concentrated in a refugee community or on indigenous land. um, And that if there's massive flooding, like we don't just say, oh, the wealthy people get to move away from it. We also have plans for the low-income people who don't have the ability to move away from these directly impacted areas. Like one big issue within Utica and even Oneida County at large is lead poisoning. Mm -hmm. Um, Oneida County actually has highest rate of lead poisoning in the entire state of New York and of course we're not seeing that uh, nearly as much on a campus like Hamilton or uh, in the wealthier suburbs like Clinton Um, it's being concentrated in places like Utica where there is a larger proportion of low-income black and brown folks who have been marginalized and not given the same resources by all levels of government so Those are the issues that we're really trying to address. Because if we create a world that, sure, we've stopped climate change, but at the same time we have the same injustices and inequities, what have we really achieved for those people? What reason do they have to come and join this fight if at the end of the day things are just not going to be as bad as they would be otherwise, right? So that's why we uh, are making a very intentional effort to, to be inclusive in that way.
0: Great. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. So another piece I'm curious about is both why community organizing Mm -hmm. is your strategy and how, and maybe these need to be asked separately for your own sanity, um, (laughs) why community organizing is a strategy and how do you see politics playing out similarly or different when you look at the Hamilton College Mm -hmm. community and the greater Central New York, Oneida County community? Those are very related questions. Uh, So community organizing
1: is important because as individuals we have the ability to make good, impactful decisions, but they're not going to be nearly impactful enough alone to actually address the climate crisis. We're looking at a planet of seven billion people, and if one person decides I'm going to go vegan and I'm going to refuse to take any fossil fuel transport and I'm going to put solar panels in my house, that's great. Like, do that. You should definitely do that. I recommend that. But at the same time, I mean, that's one of 7 billion people. We also have to consider, you know, where are the s- largest sources of these emissions? The hun- there are 100 companies that contribute about 70% of global emissions. And if those companies, 100 companies, were to stop doing something, then we're going to have a much bigger impact. If we have governments, if we have the United States military, which is one of the largest emitters in the- on the planet, cut their emissions, that's a much bigger change. Um, so the reason why we use community organizing uh, is because we understand that governments and institutions have a much larger capacity to reduce emissions than do individuals. So how do we impact that larger scale change? It's by applying political pressure. Governments very often won't do something unless there is a groundswell of support to do that thing because why? And if you look into the psychology of a, of a politician, their thought unfortunately, most of the time is, I want to stay in office. So if I do anything that's too risky, I'm going to get kicked out of office. I don't want to challenge the status quo too much. I just want to look like I'm, you know, maintaining things that are good and I, we're running a good society. So in some ways, community organizing gives sympathetic politicians an excuse to do things that they might already have wanted to do because they have the support to do it. Sure. Other times, if there's enough support, it means, oh, if I don't do this, I'm gonna lose my seat. There's different ways to use that, that power and, and how to approach it. And for the first time in a very long time, voters uh, are, especially in the Democratic Party, are ranking climate change as one of their top issues that needs to be addressed. That was not true four years ago. Mm -hmm. When Bernie Sanders got up on a stage in a debate with Hillary Clinton and said that climate change was the number one national security threat we faced, the media laughed at him. Like, this isn't a real thing. That's really a big issue. I mean, climate change is real, but like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Today... It's laughable to say the opposite—that it isn't the 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 biggest national security threat or a threat to the to our society as a whole—and that's what this community organizing power has done. So if we focus it back down to Oneida County and the city of Utica, what we see is that that conversation hasn't really penetrated the discourse that we have up here. It's still an area which, broadly speaking, doesn't prioritize the climate crisis and especially doesn't prioritize climate justice. Mm -hmm. We see this in the policy that our local elected officials have come to support. For example, the city of Utica and Oneida County, neither of them has a climate plan at all, of any kind, which is crazy in the year 2020. So we also look at the federal level and Anthony Brindisi hasn't necessarily made climate priority, but this past semester with some of our pressure and other groups' pressure, now it is a priority, and he has the Environmental Advisory Committee, and I'm on it. Um, Professor Aaron Strong is on it. Plenty of people from across the 22nd Congressional District are on it, and we're hoping that that's going to lead to him actually coming up with some climate policy that he's really going to prioritize. And then on a state level, there hasn't been much progress just yet. We're going to be planning on turning up the heat. That said, our uh, state senator here uh, at Hamilton which is just carves out just the edge of Clinton, and then that's as far as it goes. Um, Rachel May has been a very fantastic climate champion. These policies haven't been implemented or supported is because there hasn't been a huge grassroots movement to push for them. So what we as Sunrise see our role as, uh, at least for this coming semester, is elevating that conversation mm-hmm. so that Even if it isn't the policy we would like to see, there is policy discussion happening. And then as a result, that will precipitate some sort of policies coming about. On top of that, we're looking at getting sympathetic local uh, politicians to start elevating this. For example, one person we've been focusing on is Council Member uh, Delvin Moody in Utica. He is... I believe, youngest African-American uh, elected official in New York State. He's 23. He's actually a graduate wow. student at Colgate. Wow. Um, awesome. And uh, we've been talking with him, uh, and we're going to see what we can do with uh, introducing a Green New Deal to Utica. And he's very much on the same page so far in all the conversations we've had. Um So stuff like that is how we plan to introduce this conversation to this area. uh, And then hopefully that will substantially change the policies that get introduced. But I think one of our largest goals is broadly across all elections that are happening in 2020, um, whether they be for state senate or state assembly or... Congress um, or the presidency. Climate is a part of the conversation, and it is a deciding factor for whether or not somebody supports a candidate. So as we get closer, we are going to work out the kinks of who exactly we're going to endorse, what time we're going to allocate to them, Um, but that is definitely a part of our strategy going forward.
0: Sure, that makes sense. That makes sense. So what are the other things that you're working on? Because obviously there's a lot of things to accomplish.
1: So we have a very broad uh, mission right now. We have our on-campus goals, we have our off-campus goals, and we started dividing up responsibilities. So I might not even have full knowledge of all the things that we're doing, which is a good thing, because it means we're expanding. Um, But broadly off-campus, we're working on getting uh, Congressman Brindisi to co-sponsor the Green New Deal for Public Housing Act, basically is going to uh, make all public housing in the United States carbon neutral. We have Uh, about 2,400 public housing units here in the 22nd District. That's about 4,700 people. And also what's addressed by this bill is lead poisoning. Um, So that is a very direct impact right here in Oneida County. We think that even though we're in a more conservative district, because of that impact, we think we can get uh, Congressman Brindisi to support this legislation because it directly addresses this very serious issue uh, here in this area. We're also going to be working on some local government, um, municipal government uh, stuff, but also one of our major projects is trying to start another chapter in Utica. Mm -hmm. So right now, the plan is that we're going to be going into Utica every Saturday, canvassing, uh, asking questions, learning about what people's issues are, identifying people who might be interested, and then this is going to conclude with a Green New Deal town hall in Utica, um, where it's going to be focused, yes, on presenting what Sunrise is, and how you can become a part of it, but also identifying what a Utica hub's priorities might be, what issues would be important to them. Um, and the end goal is to have a fully autonomous, fully separate, but we work together, uh, Utica hub that is you know led by Utica residents, young people in particular. So those are our main off-campus goals for this coming semester. But on campus are going to be continuing the push for fossil fuel divestment and also for carbon neutrality by a much earlier date. We think that the deadline of 2050 is much further off than it should be because at the end of the day, all of the students on this campus are of that precise age group where continued funding of the fossil fuel industry is going to be directly harming them. So that's something that's crucially important to us as well but more broadly we are focused on building this movement and making it larger and larger and larger because that's the only way that we're going to elicit the systems change across the board type transformative action that we need right we need to change every sector of this economy we need a world war ii level mobilization to change every facet of our energy sector of how we get our food of how we get from place to place so always in our minds is expanding and getting new people uh, to participate in this movement, which is also part of why we're so inclusive. We need this to be open to everyone to join in whatever capacity they can come to it with.
0: That's great. So that leads me right into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. So we've talked a lot about politics. We've Mm -hmm. talked a lot about inclusion. And given our commitment to common ground, how do you, what strategies do you use to reach across to Mm. people who may not necessarily view this issue in the same way that you do and to build some community in that way? Absolutely.
1: In building a movement of millions, you're going to need to have as large uh, a tent as possible to fit everybody in uh, onto your goals. So one of the ways that this is done, this is a saying on the national website, is we're not right, we're left, we're moving forward. And what that's about is identifying that we have a crisis that has been caused not by any one party. In fact, if anything, it's been exacerbated by both parties to a large extent, and we need to address it. We'll notice like people like AOC are not exactly popular within the establishment of the Democratic Party, and she's the one who's doing the most advocacy for addressing the climate crisis. So, I think in the United States in particular, we have this political alignment that is really unfortunate that says if you believe in climate change, you're on the left, and if you don't, you're on the right. And not only that, we have this weird situation where in other countries, the left party might be like, We're for the working class, where in this case, it's the right party who's saying, We are the working class, working man's party. And what I think Sunrise is trying to do is demonstrate this kind of era of New Deal politics, which is why it's called the Green New Deal, looking at you know, who voted for FDR? Who was most supportive of the New Deal? It was the same type of person who right now is adamantly opposed to the Democratic Party and is a very pro-Trump voter. Um, So we need to demonstrate value in the policies that we're putting forth. Last night uh, at our first meeting of the semester, I talked to somebody who came in, it was their first meeting. They said that they were more center of the line. They're not necessarily right. They're not necessarily left. But what appealed to them specifically about Sunrise uh, is that we were calling out an issue in a way that people who are entrenched in the system aren't. And I think that demonstrates this broad, almost populist appeal that something like a Green New Deal can have. And I think that's the way that you reach the most people is by making it very direct like that. Here's how it impacts you. And that also involves talking about what are the impacts of the climate crisis directly on you. Something that we are very big on is like saying that we tell our story. For me, I'm on the south shore of Long Island. There are obvious climate impacts (laughs) to that. So for other people, um, we have a number of people who live in Miami, which is really ground zero. So in Oneida County, that's the immense flooding that we've been having and how that's going to impact agriculture. So finding that thing that impacts that person for somebody who uh, might even be skeptical of climate change and saying, here's how it's impacting you, I think that's the biggest thing that convinces people. But unfortunately, once we get into uh, people in positions of power uh, and what influences their views on climate change, it is very often the corrupting influence of fossil fuel money. We see for some coincidental reason that There is a correlation between your support of climate policy and how much money you are receiving from BP and Exxon and whatever other companies. And that's true across parties. There are plenty of Democrats who are receiving a fair amount from fossil fuel companies or fossil fuel adjacent companies, Mm -hmm. and that influences the decisions they make. Now, there is an argument to be had over whether or not them donating directly changes it, or if them having these views elicits those donations. But either way having that fossil fuel money helps them get reelected and continue to advocate for policies that either don't address it at all or don't address it at the scale that it needs to be. So a big thing for Sunrise uh, is addressing the corrupting influence of fossil fuel executives on our politics. And the way we do that is through community organizing. It's through electing leaders who refuse corporate PAC money. It's through electing leaders who, ref- who take the No Fossil Fuel Pledge, which we did get Anthony Brindisi to take back in October when we attended a town hall. It's so systemic, and it needs to be addressed in a very broad way uh, to do that.
0: That's great. Thank you. So I think the last thing that I want to ask you is that one of the things that stands out to me about these efforts is Mm -hmm. how driven they are and how many people are the face of some of these Mm -hmm. conversations that are so young the youth engagement in this and the reasons at some level seem fairly obvious but what do you think the impact is of that how do you think that that helps or hinders
1: Mm. i think First and foremost, uh, I believe that community organizing needs to come from the communities who are impacted. So kind of from an ethical point, you know, the the people who are most committed to the cause are the ones who are going to be impacted. So that's why youth leadership is important. And in fact, Sunrise is like codified in how we operate. There needs to be youth leadership. Um, and we define that as people under the age of 35, though, of course, all people are welcome. But beyond that, there's also the impact of kind of on a society level there's a lot of sympathy for for people who are younger it's it's a very almost tragic situation to be in but showing strength in the face of these insurmountable odds that have been decades in the making and we only have a fraction of that time left to address I think it's really really empowering to see people faced with that very cool
0: well, anything else before we sign off on this?
1: Uh, I promised president of Model UN that I would plug for us. Okay. Uh, come join us. You can email me at <laughs> at <Hamilton.edu. laughs> uh and I'll get you connected. Uh, we do a lot of fun stuff. We go to other cities and schools, and we compete with students from across the country. Um and we have a really good time learning about world politics and learning diplomacy and how political institutions work improve your public speaking. So yeah, join Model UN.
0: <laughs> very, good, very good. Yeah, I mean, it's important to recognize that I know this is a passion of yours. I know that it is something that you you connect with in a whole variety mm-hmm. of ways, including your academics. Um, but that's not all that you do. Mm-hmm. And it's not all that you are. And I, I, yeah, I don't want People to think like this is Eric Stenzel's one thing. Because that's obviously not true. I'm one dimension. <laughs> right. Very, exactly. very excited to have you. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. That was Eric Stenzel, member of the class of 2023. Stay tuned for future episodes. This is Life on the Hill.